Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Uh, today I want to talk uh, to you on the, the, the topic. It's, it's a bit of a, an interesting, but it's, it's uh, what I call reverse propulsion. And I couldn't think of anything else to say it reverse propulsion. And it sounds like it's an oxymoron. It sounds like it's a contradiction. Reverse propulsion. How many people know that before a building goes up, it's got to go down? Before a building goes up, it's got to go down. So in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, sorry, 2 Timothy, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, I'm going to send to you Timothy, my true son in the faith. Indeed, there's nobody that I have like him. Like a son serving with his father, so he served with me in this gospel. He says, and when he comes to you, there's no one like-minded like Timothy who actually genuinely cares for your own welfare, for your concern. Everyone else cares about themselves. Most you know, ministers, when they come out, they care about them and their stuff. He says, not Timothy, when I send him to you, he has no other thing on his agenda but being a blessing to you, ministering to you, pouring into you. And I thought, man, that's a pretty high accolade from the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But then if you go back into Acts chapter 16, you find that uh, Paul has a, a disciple well, called Timothy. Timothy becomes a disciple because his mum's a believer, but his father's a Greek. Paul's about to go and preach in the synagogues. And so the Bible says he takes Timothy and Timothy wants to go with him. So he circumcises Timothy. It'll bring tears to a glass eye right there. <laughs> and so <clears throat> there's no record that Paul has ever visited Timothy's house before this. But the reputation of Paul has probably gotten there. Timothy's obviously heard of, of Paul and his mum's obviously heard and seen him minister and raise the dead and invited him in. And Timothy's obviously inspired. He's made a decision because his father's a Greek. His father's a Gentile, a non-believer. His mother's a believer. And so he's made a decision. I'm going to not go the way of my earthly father. I'm going to go the way of my heavenly father. I'm going to follow my mum's faith. I'm going to make Jesus Christ Lord. But it's, it's one thing to make Jesus Lord. It's another thing to even have a great man of God or minister of God come into your home. There's a whole nother realm where Timothy actually allows this stranger to go to the most delicate, private, awkward, sensitive, bringing pain, bloodshed, and discomfort to go with him on a ministry trip. And it just began to, to make me think that today's the, the first, uh, first day for our new interns. And no, we're not going to do circumcision, but anything like that. <laughs> just in case you were going there. <clears throat> I could see a few brains going there. But the Bible talks in the New Testament about the circumcision of the heart. And let me just say this, that, that you're going to find that there's, there's, there's two dimensions. So Jesus comes in uh, John 21 and he says to Simon Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And you know, Jesus told Simon Peter that, you know, before the rooster crows twice, you'll have denied me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly when he realized Jesus was right. And man, you know, I thought I, I, thought I had enough gumption to, to stick with it. But under persecution, I buckled, I 
folded like a deck chair and man, you know, and so, so now Jesus on the beach and he says to Simon, do you love me? And Simon says, you know, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He's like, you want, you want me to feed your sheep? He says, Simon, do you love me? He's like, you know, I love me. He says, tend my sheep. He's like, you want me to, t- you want me to look after? And he says, Simon, do you love me? The Bible says Peter was grieved the third time. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus, I know you love me. He says, feed my lambs. In other words, the next generation. And Peter is so perplexed at, at this moment because there was one of the 12 disciples who didn't betray Jesus and it was John. John, the beloved, followed Jesus. He, he never, he was, even though he was at a little bit of a distance, he followed Jesus all the way, all the way to the death on the cross, burial, resurrection. John was there. John never forsook him. John never denied him. So Peter points at John and says, well, what about him? Like, man, I've disqualified myself. You're putting me in charge of the flock. Like, you're asking me to step into your shoes. You fed the flock. You tended the flock. You, you, you fed the emerging generation, the younglings, the young lambs, the Padawans. And, and you're asking, what, what about him? He, he's blemish-free, Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, if I want him to remain till I return, what is that for you? What is that to you? You do what I've asked you to do. And sometimes we're going to say, man, I wonder if, you know, Jesus' discernment was maybe a little bit out. Like, why wouldn't you choose blemish-free John over Peter? But Jesus could never go there with John. Jesus, no, there's no record of Jesus saying to John, get thee behind me, Satan, and John following him. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, the Bible says, and on this particular day, Jesus woke up grumpy. (laughs) Jesus woke up with a bad hair day. He was just ticked. And right before this moment with Peter, he stubbed his toe. And then he said, get behind me, Satan. And then later Jesus came and apologized and said, hey, dude, I, I guess I went a little overboard and. You're not really the dark Lord of the universe, the destroyer, the arch enemy of God himself personified in human flesh before me. I mean, Jesus didn't apologize. Jesus was actually able to go to such a level with Simon Peter. He says, Simon, right now, this ain't just, just zipper.com because this ain't you talking this is satan get thee behind me so right now you're a vehicle of satan he was able to rebuke simon peter on this level and because of the depth of jesus's rebuke i don't know if i'd have too many staff people left if i told them get thee behind me satan so if you know if i said right now you're operating like the dark lord of the universe you know you're a devil and I mean, that's what Jesus was literally doing. But Simon Peter was so devoted, so committed that he could take that kind of rebuke. He could take that kind of censure. And Jesus says, because I can go to this depth with you here, let me tell you how high I can take you here. Because I can go this deep with you here, I can take you this high there. It's it's a reverse propulsion. And so because Paul was able to take Timothy and go to to the most intimate, private, difficult, awkward, and bring pain and bloodshed here, Paul says, the the one person I can send to any churches anywhere is Timothy because 
that there's a mileage here. And, and you're going to understand that the devil this year will try and get you to, we all love the glory, we all love the promotion, we all love the position, we all love the spotlight, we all love the limelight. But you need to understand that that is, is reserved for those on this side. It's reserved for those on this side who can open themselves up to, to censure, to, to, to challenge. Like Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into all the world and make decisions. He said make disciples. And discipleship is, is the, the allowing of somebody to speak into those sensitive, those delicate, those private areas of our life to, to maybe cut some things away that are going to put a limit or a ceiling over our ministry, over our acceptance, over our effectiveness in this life. Can, can I just tell you, unfortunately, the world, that we, the world that we live in, you can't find it in the world. And sadly, in most churches, you can't even find it. You can't even find it in most churches because we're all broken. We're all, we're all like my dog, Daisy. Like seriously, we're sitting on the couch the other night. Like Leanne's sitting here, I'm sitting here, Daisy's there. Laddie just walks past and, and there's like space here where Laddie, Laddie jump up here. There's the fire, we're watching TV and, and Laddie, I mean, Daisy, you got your little comfortable spot here. But as Daisy walks past, she goes, ah, like this. And you know, little, I'm like, what are you, you've, this, what? But she's because she's so abused. She's ah, that's her first reaction, and ah, and you know whether there's food, ah, like just eat your freaking food. She doesn't. She just shakes. Ah, eat your bloody food, and and so unfortunately, most of us live with the the the, the memory scars of our past, and so if someone else is going to get ah, and and so even in churches, there's not a whole lot of discipleship. So we've got to create a, a, a healthy environment because Jesus says the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has, he has called me or anointed me to preach good news. That's just the first level. The second level is to heal the brokenhearted because whether you realize or not, you and I, when we came into the kingdom, we came in because we heard the good news. We thought, man, there's good news there. I'm coming in there. We heard the good news. The first thing God wants to do is say, I want to heal your broken heart. I want to heal the stuff that has damaged you. Father abandonment, divorce, rejection, bullying at school, name calling, labeling, teachers saying you're never going to amount to anything, friends playing jokes on you, cruel jokes, leaving you out, making fun of you as you, you know, you go through puberty and acne and then they call you pizza face and, oh, man, and, and, you, and it leaves scars. And, and so we come in, we, 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 ever since Adam, we've been really good at wearing masks. We've been good at sewing coverings together and making look like we got it all together on the outside. But unfortunately, we, we don't want to be a facade church because a facade church discipleships dysfunctionally. And we care about you too much to disciple dysfunctionally. But then you have the other one. You have, you have the other extreme where the, uh, everybody wants to be shepherded. And, and Pastor Leanne got a word about, uh, you know, shepherds are coming back. The shepherds is coming back that you know, we've been kind of in a 20 year or two decade uh, vacuum of leadership. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. If you're a leader and you're, you've got no one following you, you're just taking a walk, leadership. <laughs> you, know, so it's, you know, it's leadership. And so the truth is, the truth is any, every shepherd leads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, he leads me. So shepherds lead, but not every leader shepherds. Not every leader shepherds. And the Bible says about the shepherd that the shepherd has a rod and a staff. 
David, David goes on to say, he says, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff comfort me. He didn't say your staff comforts me. The staff is what a, a shepherd used to protect the sheep from going over a cliff or pulling back, you know, close to him. If there was a wolf or, or anything around, he'd use the staff to pull it in. The rod wasn't used for protection. It was used for correction. And so most Christians, especially in the 21st century, because we come from divorce, we come from dysfunction, we've come from brokenness, we've come from rejection. We actually really like Jesus's staff. We're not sure if we like the rod the rod of correction because many of us and especially we live in a culture today where the rod is banned because you have people that take the rod and maybe they're intoxicated or inebriated or just angry and they and they overuse the discipline was done by the second but they kept going because they're in a rage and they're in a blind rage or and and so it turns from what should have been discipline into abuse and so what we do is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you and I can't allow the world and the culture of a fallen, disconnected from God, actually rebelling against God world to teach us or to, to dictate to us how we live according to biblical principles because they're lost. And so we need to model to them how to live. And so you, you need to understand that there are, there are moments where it's his rod and his staff that comforts you. And, and I'm telling you, the community of church, the community of the house of God, if you said to me, hey, pastor, what's, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that you give God thanks for? I thank God for a church health where there are people who can tell you what you don't want to hear, where there are people who love you enough to go into private areas What's on your laptop? What do you, what do you mean? What's on my laptop? Can I look at your, your history? What do you mean, my history? You know, I'm just noticing this, and yeah, this keeps coming up. And, and, we, and we deflect. And the reason we deflect is because you're coming into a very intimate area, and everybody who's been close to me has hurt me or let me down. And now how do I trust you? How do I trust that you, Timothy allowed Paul, to come into a very private area, bring pain, but it was for his good. And you find all the way through the New Testament, my true son in the faith, no one like him, Timothy, my son. Like he's always, he's always bragging on Timothy. You're going to find that, that, that this year part of your journey is the relationships and even the people in the, in the oversight over you. The culture, the atmosphere that we want to build here at C3 is that, that you can begin to, to learn to establish and build a trust with your leaders. Build a trust with your leaders and allow them to go into areas. You don't have to struggle alone and you don't have to figure this out on your own. Well, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, and this is how you know that God is God, because every other God that you look at, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Confucius, Every other God is capricious and insecure. Every other God demands worship. Have a look at the contrast of our God in the Bible. The Bible says, and the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. You know, say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Adam wasn't alone. Adam had God. This is before sin. Adam walked with God in the garden. 
in the most paradisical environment. He walked with the birds and the noise and the fragrances of the flowers and all the wild animals. I mean, every, everything he saw was just marvelous and breathtaking and exquisite and extraordinary and exotic. And mag- I mean, and he's walking with God. He has the presence of God there. But God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for you to be alone. We sing songs, you're all I need. Jesus, you're all I need. You know, and, and they're good songs. You know, if there's one thing, everything I you know, have means none. And absolutely. But, you know, even God says, you know what? You need more than me. He said, I am not enough. That's how I know I can trust him. Adam didn't say, God, I'm lonely, but, you know, I don't want to upset you. Adam didn't go, God, I like, you know, your presence and everything is awesome. But you're just kind of weird. I need a friend like, you know, Adam didn't notice. It wasn't Adam that noticed that he was lonely. Wow. Nowhere does it say that Adam was lonely. Wow. Nowhere does it say that Adam was discontent. Yeah, wow. Nowhere does it say that God saw that Adam was discontent. God didn't say that Adam was discontent and lonely. He just said it's not good for man to be alone. He needs somebody else in his life. He needs someone that he can come into agreement with, into alignment with. He needs somebody covering him to a better than one, the Bible says. One sets flight to a thousand, two, ten thousand. One of the, the gifts of the devil is isolation. One of the gifts of the devil is clicky little groups in church. One of the gifts of the devil is loneliness. One of the things that's plaguing, we've got seven billion people. You've got the overpopulation crowd, and then you've got the lonely crowd. We've got one group of people telling us the planet's overpopulated and then another group t- saying that loneliness is an epidemic because it's not about, it's not about the, the quantity of population. It's about a, a, a quality or an understanding of relational principles. And most people don't know how to open themselves up, how to be vulnerable. I was saying to uh, you know, South Bay on Sunday that one of the great keys of marriage is is intimacy, one of the great keys. And as soon as I say intimacy, your brain, most brains will go, okay, sex. But the truth is that there is a lot of sex without any intimacy. You can actually have sex without any intimacy whatsoever. And the word intimacy literally means into me see. Into me see. Because in 25 years of being married to to beautiful Liani, what we've discovered is that, that part of, of building a healthy and a strong relationship and a strong marriage is creating an atmosphere of vulnerability with one another and trust with one another. That Leanne actually has permission to into me see. And then she affords me the privilege of into her see because the cycles of our biological past resides in the spouse of our present. And so the dysfunctions of my father and mother that they picked up from their fathers and mothers was 
residing in me, putting ceilings or tension unnecessarily and stress in our marriage. And so Leanne, over years of marriage, we learn how to communicate and how to say, as, as I into you see, I see this, this, and this. Are you aware of it? And the truth is I, I was aware of it long before she saw it. But because of the fall, I do what every human being does. I'm, I, I become ashamed that it's there. And then I cover it and pre- try and pretend like it's not there. And then I act all macho like I've got it all together. Or if you say, what the hell's going on? Uh, then what I do is like, oh, what about you? God says to Adam, did you really eat? It's the woman you gave me. It's your fault. And then he says to the woman, what is this you have done? The serpent deceived me. Like, you know, the old saying, and then, and then you know, she blamed the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Such a bad joke. Works every now and again. <laughs> but the ability, the ability to have people, and I'm telling you, you know, Leanne and I know that, that in, our, in our own walk, in our own walk, it's the ability for us to open up. So sometimes church can look from the outside like a, like a place of performance. And absolutely, you know, when, when we're on the platform or, you know, when we have uh, Twisted, the musical and Josiah's up there, here I am, you know, it, what a performance. How incredible. And, and but let me just tell you, there is, there is a level of performance, but don't limit it there. We don't stop there. It goes so much deeper. Your life is so valuable to God. You matter so much to God. Your, your, your discipleship is our, our highest uh, priority. It's the top of our agenda this year. And so allow yourself to, to get into an environment. And listen, absolutely make people earn trust. You know, the, the, you got the other end of, of people who you just met them and they're already telling you their life story. You know, those, those people, which is not, that's never a healthy thing either. That's usually, usually there's something broken emotionally and mentally with people who come up straight away. Right now, I want you to know that I'm really struggling with, and you're like, oh, I don't even know your name. And, uh, and so, you know, so, so that's a dysfunction. So they know, they know that they need to confess. They know they need help. They know they need to be transparent and honest. They're just doing it in, in, Again, the dysfunction, because they don't know dysfunction. So over this year, allow yourself to, whoever you're sitting under, allow yourself to build a relationship and a connection with them and allow yourself to begin to receive some instruction and receive correction because it's the rod and the staff. And absolutely, you, you better believe that your shepherd has both. Your shepherd's job is to protect you. Your shepherd's job is to help you make it through this year, get, to, get you to the other side, stand with you, agree with you, warfare with you, believe with you, you know, weep when you're weeping, rejoice when you're rejoicing. That's what your shepherd's meant to do. But your shepherd's also meant to every now and again bring out the rod. And, uh, you know, we've got four kids. Our eldest who... Uh, we used to break the wooden spoon on that little guy's backside. I am telling you, we could, Tommy, our youngest boy, I would just open the drawer. Just the, just, just, just the threat of, all right, oh, you, you think that's okay? I'm going to open the drawer and get the wooden spoon. And I don't even need to pull it out. He's already repentant. He's already, 
you know, changed, you know, his little arms are already producing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, he just, he's popping them all out everywhere. Look at this fruit all over the floor. It's like, my God, you know, it's like, you know, just from the opening of the drawer. And it's amazing how different kids are. And, uh, but you're going to find this year, it's just going to be such a great year. Uh, and it's more than just the assignments and it's more than just learning and it's more than just serving. God wants to do a deep work in you. He wants to go right into the, the inner machinations of your heart because the scripture says in Proverbs 23, 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. As a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to leave the thinking, the, the internal software the same and just try and you know, put you into, into different environments and different programs. If we don't change the software, it doesn't, it, it, the output's going to be the same. Just take you from this environment, you're going to go right back to what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to change that internal dialogue. He's wanting to change that internal operating software on the inside of you. And that usually you will find is, is through discipleship. Now, let me just say this. There's also sandpaper ministry. Sandpaper ministry means that there are going to be moments this year where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand the person that I'm working with. They are so obnoxious. Oh my gosh, they are so like, and you know, whatever. And you would be thinking, uh, why would God put me with, you know, when I was in Bible college, worst thing that ever happened was we had this, this one book. Uh, I'm not sure if this is, I think it is recorded, so I've got to be careful, but I won't say her last name. Her first name was Thea, and uh, she used to drive with gloves on. And uh, she was just like, you know, and looking back now, I've realized now she was a very broken person, but she would drive, and she'd drive like this, and she'd just go. True story. So, so me and my friends, we'd make fun. Well, anyway, this, this one, this one afternoon, uh, Pastor Bobby Houston comes and she goes, Amen. Now she said, uh, she says, Pastor Jurgen, I need you to pick up Thea every morning to bring her to. And I'm like, of all the people, <laughs> I have to pick her up in my car, drive into Bible college, have people going, Are they together? You know, it's like. <laughs> Like every morning I have to pick up and I'm like, God, why would you do this? And it's like, God uses sandpaper. Sandpaper is incredibly rough and you use something rough to make something smooth. You use something rough to take away the sharp edges. And I found that sometimes you're gonna find you're gonna be in assignments or in roles of serving or even serving with people that, oh my Goodness, and it's sandpaper ministry because God is just taking care of some of those little rough edges. So just give yourself totally over to God. Just the, the, the last scripture is when you think about Jesus, Jesus in Philippians chapter two, the Bible says that, that you know, Jesus didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God because he knew who he was. So he never, you know, he never grasped for it, never tried to, con didn't consider it robbery to be, you know, called equal with God. Yet he made himself of no reputation, Philippians chapter two. Made himself of no reputation, taking on the very form of a man and then he became a servant. So he didn't become, take on the, well, I'll, I'll go down there and be a man as long as I'm a great king, as long as I'm a great warrior, somebody famous. 
you know, from the Matrix. I want to be famous, an actor, somebody, which isn't that good these days. <laughs> I know this isn't. I mean, so um, <coughs> Jesus doesn't just take on the, the human form, but he takes on becoming a servant. And the Bible says, submitting himself even to death, yea, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Because you need to understand that the, the time of Jesus's life, the, see, in the Western world, our, the gospel that we preach in the West is that the West is law and justice, law and justice. So the, the gospel we preach in the West is very different to the gospel that is preached in the East in the sense of in the West, we preach that you and I are lawbreakers. We have violated God's law and justice demands that we pay by going to hell. But Jesus stepped in and he was the propitiation. He was the atonement. He was the, but in the East, they don't operate under law and justice as their primary. They operate with a culture of honor and shame. Honor and shame. When I was at, uh, flying back from uh, surfing in Indonesia, my, my Muslim uh, surfboard carrying guy was arguing with me. And I'm like, well, who, you know, who can save you from, from your sin? Trying to do law and justice, saying Muhammad didn't die on a cross, you know, but Jesus did. But when I talked to him about Jesus dying on the cross, he, you know, he looked at me. He was a really sweet guy. And he's like, yeah, you know, like, how can you believe that Jesus was awesome when he died? on the cross, like Muhammad conquered towns, like there was honor, whereas Jesus died, like that's how they crucified their criminals. And the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to be stoned to death. They wanted to kill him, but they thought, if we kill him, we make a martyr of him. Let's, let's get him crucified. That's why they yelled out, crucify him. They didn't say, because Pilate says, look, you, you, if he's broken your laws, you see to it. But they didn't want to stone him to death they wanted to make him a public spectacle, so they had him crucified because they crucified people on the side of the roads so that you, it was as a deterrent, and it was the ultimate shame. Men stripped naked, hanging on a cross, dying for their crimes. It was a deterrent, but it was the most shameful way. And Jesus didn't just die you know, in a back room with stoning. They stripped him, they beat him, and then they hung him on the cross. So because of the shame, because of the shame that Jesus went to to save you and I here on earth, the Bible says, therefore, God has reverse propulsion, given him the name that is above every other name and seated him far above every principal, seated him at the right hand of the, because of the depth to which he was willing to go that way. That's why Jesus says, whoever wants to be great, let him become least and let him become servant of all. Every single one of us on the inside of us, you should have, you should have. Jesus didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He knew he was equal with God, but he made himself. And this year, can I just encourage you, partner with the purpose of God. Make yourself of no reputation. Your reputation will go before. Your reputation will speak to you. If I, if I got a cork and I took that cork and I wrote on it, stone. From now on, cork, you're no longer cork, you're stone. And then I swam to the bottom of the swimming pool and I put it on the bottom of the swimming pool. Like, you stay there like a stone. You know what's going to happen? 
And then I'll swim to the top. You stupid cork. I told you you're not a cork. You're a stone. And drag it back down and get him. Stay there. Why? Because it's a cork. It doesn't matter how deep you take it. It's always going to come to the top. It was inevitable. They could call Jesus the son. Is this not the carpenter's son? They could nail him to a cross. They could crucify him. They could put him in the most shameful death. They could do whatever. But who he was was always going to rise. Who you are, who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. He made himself of no reputation. This year, just throw yourself into whatever area, whatever duty, whatever, wherever you're serving. Allow people to speak into your life. Allow God to do a deep work in you. Allow God to move the little splinters, to, to cut off the things that need to be cut off, to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And I promise you, you're going to get to the end of this year and say, my God, 2018 was the greatest year of my life. The things that shifted, the growth that I made in 2018. Amen. I mean, Heavenly Father, we just thank you right now for your presence and your power. I thank you, Father, for these magnificent disciples, these beautiful interns, these magnificent sons and daughters of yours. And Father, I thank you that this is going to be the greatest year. 2018 going to be the most extraordinary year for these beautiful people. Father, we give you permission now. Shine your light into the inner depths of our heart, Father. Lord, we open ourselves up and we know, Lord God, that you've got great, thing for, great things for us. Help us to remove all the things that will put ceilings or stops or disqualifiers from us becoming all that you are. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.